Let's turn our minds towards the Word of God and we consider our congregation, a group of believers here who have, when we were immersed into Christ, that was symbolic and the work of, and the work of God at the same time, a symbol and God's work to set us apart from what is an ordinary. That's when we were made holy, when we were immersed into Christ. That's when we became saints because the blood of Jesus washed us at that moment, cleansed us, and we became set apart for the entirety of our life to uh, be different from what is common and to serve God's purpose. That's how we've defined the idea of holiness, is something that's set apart from what is common to serve God's purpose. Now, you can set apart something in your life to to make it special in some way, and you don't use it and treat it like ordinary things, and you have things that you treat as special and have them to serve a particular purpose, and that is what we are to be to Christ, set apart from what is common to serve His purpose. Today we're discussing set apart by evangelism. The thought of evangelism and dedication to evangelism is one thing that should mark God's people. We are set apart from what is common when we believe the gospel with our whole heart and then share the truth of the gospel with others. That is a defining mark of Christ and therefore it is a defining mark of us. So, with that thought in mind, I want to establish, first of all, that God's plan has always been for everyone to be reconciled to Him. God wants everybody to be right with Him in the right relationship. Though it was messed up in the garden, though our sins separate us and become like a wall between us, And the Father, God wants reconciliation. He wants the wall torn torn down. He wants us to be in His presence forever. So God's plan has always been for everyone to be reconciled to Him. And He does that through His one and only Son. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So let's start with this thought, first of all, back in Genesis. Things were very nice, very good in the garden. God had everything the way He wanted it. And then the serpent came and deceived the woman and the man. Genesis 3.15 then, as God speaks to the serpent, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And now note that in this passage, as it talks to the serpent that is going to crawl on the ground, it says that there's going to be some kind of enmity, some hatred between the snake that follow, or the serpents that follow, and the seed of the woman. Okay, so more descendants are going to come after that, more serpents, 
more people. But it says there's going to be some hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her, her seed. Okay, so think of seed as descendants, offspring. If a flower drops a seed to the ground, it produces an offspring. Right? So seed produces offspring. But then in verse 15 at the tail end, in the middle, it says, He shall bruise. There's not they shall bruise you all. Every, every person after, that comes after Eve, every descendant of Eve, they're going to come around and kind of be crushing the serpent's head or stomping on the serpent's head. That would make sense to us. Most of us have that. Most, not all. But most of us have that instinct. We see a snake, we want to kill it, right? I want to stomp it. I sure don't want to be with it. I would rather it be dead. Not everybody's like that. You don't have to hate snakes. I don't hate them. But it says he. It's singular. It's pointing to one person. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 3 is pointing to the fact that someday Jesus was going to come and strike, put a blow to the head of Satan. And we know, because we have the full story, that Jesus did this through Christ. Jesus, or Jesus did this on the cross. He crushed the head of Satan. And you shall bruise him on the heel. So Satan was going to have some impact on Christ also. And he did, Christ did die, die on the cross. He suffered a blow. But his resurrection was the, uh, the parting blow that would end up sending Satan to hell forever. And that will happen. So, but the point is, is that God's plan is coming it begins right there. Everybody is going to be saved through Jesus. The things got messed up in the garden, but God's got a plan to fix it. The one who causes the, the chaos in the garden, who comes in and deceives, the deceiver is going to be crushed by the, the one who would, uh, would come after him. So Jesus is spoken of there. The plan is set in place. Then in Genesis chapter 12, as uh, Genesis, uh, excuse me, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 12, verse 3, in this passage, God is picking Abram, and he has a specific purpose for Abram. So this is just 12 chapters into the entire book. And at the end of the promises, when God calls Abram and says, I'm going to do some great things for you, verse 3 says, And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abram is the beginning of the nation of Israel. And through Israel, all nations would be blessed. Now, as you read through um, the Old Testament, you don't find uh, a lot of ways in which the entire world is blessed. All the nations blessed through Israel. Some ways they were. But we're going to continue to see that there is the seed of the woman. He is going to be the one who comes through Israel. 
And he is the one who provides the blessing. But notice God's desire in 12.3, spoken to Abram, is that in you all families of the earth would be blessed. The plan is always for everyone to be blessed. Jesus loves all. God loves all. God wants everyone reconciled to him. Now go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22 and verse 18 makes a little bit more specific God's plan. Genesis 22 verse 18 reads this. I have to turn the page. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So here is the promise to Abram. Now he is Abraham. That's his covenant name. Father of nations. So he is going to provide a blessing to all the earth. God is going to give a blessing in your seed. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So similar language, all nations of the earth being blessed. But now God is clear with him. It says, in your seed. The interesting thing about that, um, that word seed, I, it's in our language, you could have um, a bunch of seeds piled up over here. And you could say, look at the seed. We got enough to plant a whole field. Look at the seed. Seed is... I could have one seed or I could have a bunch of seed. You can also use seeds, right? So there's this idea of plural and singular that plays into this word. I could have, and it was true in the, from what I've read, somebody uh, stated this online, I believe it. With the Hebrew, it was the same way. You could have a seed or seed, a bunch of seed. And so the question is, is this supposed to be a singular seed as in one teeny seed, one person, or through everybody. So hear me, and it's a kind of a question that we have here. In your seed, is it through all the offspring of Abraham that everybody, that all nations, what does it say, all nations of the earth shall be blessed? Or is it through one singular seed, thinking about the seed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he, he. The answer is found in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 points to the fact that in Genesis 22, 18, the, the seed there is singular, pointing to one person, Jesus the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one who was spoken of, prophesied about. He's the chosen one. And look in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. This is not the definitive verse. The definitive verse is going to come in a second down here. But in Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, it reads, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel. Preached the gospel. That's what we're talking about today is evangelism. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, All nations will be blessed in you. So the good news is that all nations will be blessed through Jesus Christ. Well, in particular, that verse, through, through, somehow through Abraham. But it's through Jesus Christ because a couple of verses later we see 
in verse number 16, it says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. The seed, the he in Genesis 3.15 that was going to crush Satan's head. Jesus Christ. The way that God was going to bless the nations, all the nations through Abraham, through his seed, through that one seed, is Jesus Christ. And so through Abraham and through his great and many descendants in that nation of Israel came the one, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus of Nazareth, born to Mary, the one who brings life and hope. He is the way that everything can be fixed. He is the one who can rescue us. He can restore us. He is the one that everything that happened bad in the garden, and that is everything starts falling apart in the garden, And through Jesus comes, through Jesus Christ, He comes and makes everything new. And He can recreate. And that is God's desire. is not to come and tell us we're all bad and we're all doomed for the pits of hell for eternity. But He sends Jesus His Son to say, I want you with me. I want things right as they were in the garden. I want to be in a right relationship with you. That's why we see in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world, all nations, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He can salvage everything. Everything that we've wrecked, messed up, tainted, He can fix it. Only Jesus. You can't fix things yourself. We turn to the one who can. Jesus Christ. God's plan has always been for everyone to be reconciled to Him through His one and only, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. That's the entire message that is in this big book. Jesus loves all people. How much? So much that he went to the cross and died to save them. Those people we have a hard time getting along with from day to day. And uh, difficult people at work, whether they be co-workers or customers or when we're at a place of business and the person there is really difficult to get along with, who's supposed to be the one helping you, and the other person driving the car that you're 
just about ran you off the road and you would like to take off and go run them off the road. All those people. Jesus Christ loves them so much that he died to save them. All people. Every one. All nations. We're all the bad, in God's eyes, we're, because of sin, we're all the bad people, aren't we? We're all the jerks. We're all the rebels. We're all the ones who cause problems. It's all of us in God's eyes. So since God has reached out and saved us and loved us, it makes sense that we should reach out and love others and do unto others as Christ has done for us. Jesus loves all those people so much, don't you think we should love them that much? If Jesus came to save people and that's all he was concerned with, don't you think that we should be concerned with the same thing? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5, says, Test yourselves. This is really a hard verse after what I have just proclaimed. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Jesus loves people so much that he was willing to die for them. Sinners, Everywhere. He died for all people. He loved them that much. Now test yourself. Do you have the same spirit in you? Is Christ in you? If Christ, the one who is filled with love for everyone... And that he came to save everyone, and it was his mission to reach out to everyone. If that's how we describe him, and it's accurate to do so, then we need to test ourselves and ask ourselves do we have the same spirit? Do we care about the lost? Are we reaching out to save souls? And just a note, I think that's fine language for us, is that we can save others. It's not that we're the Savior, but we can introduce them to the Savior. So we can be a part of saving others. Not that we're the Savior, but we are introducing people to Christ Jesus, the one we love. Are we doing that? The second point on the outline then, and just a few points going down here, some verses for us to think about, and there are many, many verses that deal with evangelism, so I'm pointing to just a few. And I am asking us to consider, every one of us, to kind of test ourselves today, because this is something that, if I'm claiming this message that we're set apart by evangelism, 
I'm telling you, folks, it's, this is the one that we've got to do better. It's the one I've got to do better. Jesus loves everyone. Are we showing that we love others too by reaching them and caring for them with the one thing they need, and that is to be safe for all eternity? Jesus, when he came here, he sent his disciples to make disciples of all the nations. The language of all the nations. Once again, it's all people everywhere. It goes, harkens back to everything fell apart in the, uh, in the garden. But then God finally picked Abram and he said, Through you, all nations will be blessed. All nations need to have the opportunity to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Here is the, I go first to the great call that is put forth by Jesus, the command that he gives to his apostles. And verse 16 make it, makes it clear this is the 11 apostles, one now gone, the betrayer. This is clearly to the apostles. But I ask you to consider that the call and even the language of this verse, not only does it ring out to us that we should be doing the same, but it's implied in here that we should do the same. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus sent his disciples to make disciples of all nations. When Jesus called those folks, some of them, the first ones were fishermen. You remember Jesus' words to them? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. A new mission, a new purpose. You're no longer common ordinary fishers. You're set apart to serve my purpose. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You will catch men. That was his call to them. Go and teach. Go and make disciples. Disciples make disciples. If we're following Jesus, and I might be jumping ahead in my words here. I don't think I am. If we're following Jesus, then we're going to become like Jesus. We're going to do things like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He loved people. Told them the truth. Taught them how to be saved. The language at the very end of verse 20, the last words there say, even to the end of the age. I think that harkens not to the end of their lives, but to the end of the age, the end of the Christian age, to the end of we are in the last age of this earth. Before Christ comes again to take us home with the Father. 
This is the last age. We're a part of the last age, the Christian era. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Okay, the apostles, I don't know if you've looked around, they're not around anymore. They're gone, they're dead, but we are still here. And Jesus still calls to us these words um, propel the instruction from Jesus to all police. To all believers through the Christian era, through the Christian age. And so these words, when we read them, and Jesus says, I've got all authority, we we hear that. Jesus still has all authority. It's not some leader of some nation that has all authority. The one with all authority is Christ Jesus. His word is the truth. Not anybody who speaks anything else, not anybody comes along and says, no, you can't believe this. No, his word is truth. He has all authority. I believe that. You've got to decide if you believe it or not. And if you believe it, then we've got to act upon it. If he has the authoritative word and he is telling us to go, And I would say that doesn't mean we have to go to another nation, but that rather we need to go to the people that are around us and share the gospel with them. Jesus has authority. His word is truth. Who can oppose us? Well, actually, a lot of people can oppose us, but the point is they don't have authority. They are nobodies. I don't care if the government comes against you. I don't care if a teacher says your way of thinking is foolish. I don't care who it is or what. If you're following Christ and his teaching, you're the one who is aligning with the proper authority. There's nobody who can oppose you. And also notice then, as Jesus says, as after he's talking about his authority, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you. And here's what I need to remember more than anything, is that Christ is with me. I have His authority, the greatest authority. I'm following, out, I'm following His commands, His instructions as I go and teach. That means these other people that... Instead of being worried about, am I going to offend them? Am I going to make them think that, that I'm telling them they're going to go to hell if they don't change their life and I'm condemning them and, and they might not like what I say about Jesus and they might say there's some other things in here that they don't like and blah, blah, blah. Folks, we've got to get past these fears. What if they, don't, what if they ask a question I can't answer? Yeah, they will. Okay, just get over it. Let us not be filled with fear, but know that when Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, he is saying that because he knows we're going to be afraid to do what he's calling us to do. The mission is simple. It's understandable. You've learned something about how to be saved. Go tell somebody else. Make disciples of them. That's a simple thing, but it doesn't mean it's going to be without difficulty. There are going to be some hardships. All through scripture you see the hardships of people who followed and obeyed. All of these 11 apostles, according to tradition, except for one, all of them died at the hands of men. They were all martyrs, all killed. Supposedly John, 
um, the youngest apostle, he was supposedly, he, did, he died of old age. I don't know. We'll find out someday. But the point is, hardships come. But whom should we fear? Turn back to Matthew. He was always honest with his disciples. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 31. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim among the roo- upon the rooftop- housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We'll continue this lesson next week, but the call is clear. The message of the Bible is clear. The overall message that's woven from beginning to end is very simple. It's that man has messed everything up, being de- having been deceived and led astray. Our relationship was, with God is in rubble, it's in ruin, it's destroyed, but only through Jesus Christ. The seed of Eve, the seed of Abraham, can things be salvaged. And he fixes everything. Only in Christ Jesus can everything be fixed. That's the message that we have that we can share with others and that we ought to share with others and must share with others. But it is also... The message that is so very true for us as individuals to hear that. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for everyone. If you want his spirit, if you want to have that same spirit of love for the one who died for you, you want to to have Christ in your life, you give your life to him. You die to yourself, get raised up to walk in a new life. Spirit of God leading you and guiding you and teaching you to love. If there's anybody here in the audience today who needs to come to Christ Jesus, we encourage you to come. Give your life to Him as we stand and sing this song.